and welcome back to Tani Talks Parsha, the TTP, the show where we talk about the sheer, where we talk about the Parsha of the week with some practical lessons to keep. We're looking at Va'et Hanan. We're looking at the Parsha, the second Parsha of Devarim. Basically, Moshe is going through the last days of his life, really around 36 days of his life at the end where he's talking to the people, the Jewish people, and he goes through the different life events. He goes through in last week's Parsha, the Maraglim and things like that, and then again the, the Aseris Hadibros are in this Parsha in Hanan, and towards the end of the Parsha, in Parag Vav, Pasuk Hay, it says, V'ahavta es Hashem Elokecha, you shall love the Lord your God, you shall love Hashem, the paragraph, the first paragraph of Shema, the very famous paragraph that we say every day, in the morning and at night time <clears throat> and before bed, we love Hashem. But what does that mean? The first paragraph of Shema, What does it really mean to love Hashem? And what does it mean to love Hashem with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole possessions? How is that possible? Hashem is not a physical manifestation. Hashem is not a physical creature or a physical person or a physical being. Hashem is a being, is the only true being. He created all of us. But how do you love such an existence? How do you love such a thing? And what does it even mean, really, to love? The definition of love, my favorite definition, is what Rabbi Dessler points out in Mechtav Meleahom, I believe in Strive for Truth, that the root <coughs> of love is what? We know that the word ahava is love. Ahava. Not just the skin care product from Israel, from the Dead Sea, but the term that means love. What is the root of the word love? Ahava is hav. The root of the word of love is hav. Hav in Hebrew means to give. So to give is really to love. And that's why the best definition of an interesting relationship that really it's all about giving and really is the most love as parents to children, especially when they're babies and they're toddlers and there's little kids. They can't really do anything for us. They don't give anything back. They don't take out the law. They don't do the laundry, take out the garbage or do the bills. We're giving, giving, giving to them. Yet parents, as a general rule, love their children more than the children love the parents. Fact, because the parents give to the children for years and years and years and years and years. And the children don't give back, and that's why the fundamental aspect of love is to give. To be one who loves, a lover of people, is one who gives and gives and gives to people unconditionally. Not if you, if I give you this, you must come see me, you must come do this, you must call me, yada, yada, yada. Unconditional love means to give without any conditions, purely for the fact that I love you as my child, I love you as my spouse, I love you as my friend. Just to give to love, just to to love to give, to give to love, literally giving to the other person without asking anything in return. And that's really the, the not-so-secret aspect of relationships. If we would give 
without any conditions, without anything in return. Even if the person does nothing for us in return, like children, we give just to give. They say that the relationships are not 50-50, it's 100-100. Each person has to give 100%. Give as much as they said, not a tit for tat. I did the baby's diaper, you take out the garbage, I did food, you must do dishes. Give 100%, give 100%. And that's why often I try to do as much as I can around the house and in life. Giving, giving, giving is the best way to show expression, to show love, to show that you care. And you're taking care of things in and around the house, in and around the days, in and around our life. The question is, how do we give in such a way to show love for Hashem? Hashem doesn't need anything. Hashem is perfect. Hashem can't get anything from us. So what can we really give to show our love to Hashem? If we say that love is based on giving, if we say Ahava is based on Ahav, how do we give to the ultimate giver? So when we say that kids don't give to parents, it's not fully true because there are some ways that we feel receiving on the receiving end as parents. You know, when I feel something, right? From my six-year-old, my four-year-old, my two-year-old, and we should be Zohar, to always have good things, and we should all be Zohar to have wonderful things and children and, and, and many children and only good things. But when I, there is a time when I feel something in return, and that's the idea of Nachat, feeling the Nachat Ruach, feeling the ultimate end of, ah, this is great. You know, I see that my son was really nice to his friend. I see my son smiling in the picture. I see my son laughing at camp. I see my other son giving to his sibling, giving to his friend. And I see my little daughter coming to, to give something to her sibling or to give something to me. That's Nachat Ruach. That is giving something to me. So maybe on some level, how can we give to Hashem? We can give Nachat to Hashem. Hashem is the ultimate parent. Hashem is the ultimate king, the ultimate ruler. But really we look at him as Avinu Shabashamayim, our father in heaven, our father and our mother in heaven. But really we use the, the idea as father, the ultimate giver, the ultimate caretaker. So someone who gives everything to us, what can we give in return? We can give Nachat Ruach. We could follow his mitzvahs. We could follow his Torah. We could follow his ultimate his ultimate guidebook for life, the Torah, and do chesed. And what can we give in return? We can give that Nachat. When I give to my kids, when we give to our kids, we give to our spouses, but especially we give to our kids, the ultimate for a parent is when they see their children get along, when they see their children interact, when they see their children being able to participate with each other and involve themselves with one another and hang out with one another. That's really the ultimate thing. That's why a lot of parents say, did you call your brother today? Did you call your sister today? Get off my back, mom. Get off my back, dad. I'll call them when I call them. I'll WhatsApp them. I'll text them. Don't tell me. No, because the parent is the ultimate level. We want our children to be able to take care of each other. We want them to be good siblings, especially after 120 years when the parents leave this world after 120 years. We want to make sure the siblings are in good hands. They'll take care of one another. They'll be nice to your brother. Be nice to your sister. Stop hitting him. Stop taking that. Make sure. Now, why do we yell at them? Why do we, why do we castigate them? Why do we tell them all the things they need to do as little kids? Because we hope they learn to be there for one another. There's nothing like blood 
blood runs thicker than anything else, really, and that's physically true, but metaphorically also, blood runs thick. You know, you have to take care of the siblings and be there for one another and interact for one another. So when we talk about giving, we give to our children, we give to our spouses on a physical level, an emotional level, a psychological level, cognitive, but how do you give to Hashem, the ultimate giver? You can give nachat. How do you give Nachat? By following his mitzvahs, doing his Torah, doing chesed, and taking care of the other Jewish people. Call Yisrael Arivim Zelazeh, we're all brothers and sisters. So if we get along, we do Ahavat Chinam, which might be a way to rebuild the temple. We know the temple is destroyed because of Sinat Chinam. The other temple is destroyed because of immorality and bloodshed and Avodah So avoid all those things also. And maybe we could bring the, the base of English. But if we really care for one another, we give that actual Nachat to Hashem. That's a way to give back to Hashem. That's a way to give Hashem the feeling that, ah, my children are getting along. Ah. My children are making the world a better place. I feel such nachat. And maybe that's the idea of a carbon. I think the Rambam or the Ramban, Maimonides or Nachmanides, I forget which one, explains what's the point of a carbon. Carbonos are so esoteric. You know, the whole Vayikra is full of carbonos. There are tractates that are dedicated to Agabonos, you know, Menachos and different tractates that talk about the, the esoteric details of sacrificial law. There's a whole series in the Aleph Beta where he talks about this in the Kams of Arkamsa and how the sages had to decide if this usurper, this this traitor basically of the Jewish people brought an illegitimate carbon, should we take it or not? Carbons are very esoteric, but what can be the aspect of a carbon? It's like when a child comes to you, and this is not my example, the sages have explained, the commentators have explained, when a child comes to you and brings to you a Mother's Day present, a child comes to you and brings a Father's Day present, that's a wonderful expression of his love for you in his own way. Hashem says, make for me a reach nichoach. Hashem doesn't have a smell. Hashem doesn't have any physical manifestation. Hashem doesn't have any need for karbanos. Hashem says, you want to give something to me? Bring to me a little present. Bring to me a little gift. And in those days, that was a very big thing for all the cultures of the world to do it. You know, Romans gave sacrifices. They gave bulls and, and uh, Aztecs and the Mayans and the Incas. and the, Everyone gave sacrifices. But Hashem said, you want to give sacrifices? Don't, God forbid, do something barbaric. Don't do a human sacrifice, God forbid, or anything like that. That's Avodah That's crazy. No moloch of putting your kids running through the fire, God forbid. You take an animal. You slaughter it in the right way. You put it on the altar in the temple or in the mishkan the tabernacle and you you raise it up to me and you elevate it in hashem says you elevate it in a way that it's a mitzvah it's a wonderful thing to do and we give hashem a present and that's a reach nechow. it's a pleasant aroma for hashem it's a gift to him he has that nachat ruach he has that pleasant feeling kiviyachal so to speak in such a way so we give to hashem by by giving nachas Give nachas to your parents. Give nachas to those around you. And it's not just about checking with them and, and calling them. It's about, you know, making a difference in the world and that they see the difference you're making. Hashem sees the difference you're making. Give nachas. That could be the element of talking about how to really love God. You know, giving towards God to make a relationship with Him. People say, I can't be angry at God. I can't talk to God. I can't have this relationship. If we believe and we fundamentally believe that Hashem is our Father in Heaven. Do you ever get upset at your parent? Does your parent ever get upset at you? And Hashem doesn't really get upset at us. You know, Hashem is the intimate, the the 
intimate relationship with us, but he has ultimate patience, ultimate, you know, he has kindness for generations, he has much, much patience, till you see the folly of your ways, the error of your ways, you could keep falling, you could keep falling, but the tzaddik, the one Hashem loves, is the one that keeps on getting up and keeps on trying. So Hashem and us, you know, you can be upset at Hashem, you can be angry at Hashem, but that doesn't mean that you don't stop believing in Hashem. It means you still have a munah, you still have bitachon, you still try to talk it out with Hashem, you still daven to Hashem. Yeah, you could be angry, you don't understand, and you could be upset, but we know kol manda avid rachmana avid latova, gamza latova, everything Hashem does is for the best, we might not understand it. So we need to have that relationship. So to love Hashem is to be connected to His Torah, to do His mitzvahs, to do His chesed, and to give to Hashem by following in His ways. That's a way to really love Hashem, really to give. Ahava, hav. Hav is to give, is to love. Rashi points out, the sources come from Chabad, when it says loving Hashem, it means perform His commandments out of love. The one who acts out of love cannot be compared to the one who acts out of fear. If one serves his master out of fear, when the master sets a great burden upon him, the servant will leave him and go away. Whereas if out of love, he will serve him even under great burden. You know, what's a better boss to be and to have? A boss that you're afraid of or a boss that you actually love? What an awesome person. I love this boss. He takes care of this company. And not in a weird way that you want to run off and marry him or marry her. No, it's a boss that you actually love how they take care of you, love how they run the company, love how they treat their employees. If it's a boss you're scared of, it's not the same level as a boss that you really care for. Lahabdul Lahabdul Hashem wants it to be that, not that we're afraid of Him, that's only one level, but that we love Him and we don't want to transgress because of loving Him. I don't want to make Him upset at me. You, you don't want to cause pain to your spouse. You don't want to cause pain to your kids. Not because you're afraid of your spouse or your kids, but because you love them and it would be disappointment. Because you love them and it would make them feel bad. You know, a lot of times we get into disputes, we get into disagreements. It's not because we're intentionally, usually, it's not because we're intentionally trying to do bad things. You know, we make mistakes or this or that. We don't really intentionally, unless you're sadistic or masochistic to yourself, God forbid, we don't really want, or, or narcissistic or any of those things, talking regular normal things, we don't want to intentionally cause people harm. We don't try to do such things. We love people. We have to do things in the right way. It's a higher level to perform out of love than to perform out of afraid. I take out the garbage because I'm scared my wife is going to throw me on the couch. I take out the garbage because I love my wife and we have a relationship where we get along and I want to do things because I love her, not because I'm scared of her, not because I'm afraid of her, not because I'm afraid of him, but because I love him or I love her, depending if you're talking to the husband or the wife. When it talks about with all your heart, Rashi points out, love him with your two inclinations. In the heart, there's good and there's evil. You have to love Hashem with your with your Yetzirah, your bad inclination, and your Yetzirah, your good inclination. So it's easy to love Hashem with your good inclination. I want to do good. I want to give tzedakah. I want to do chesed. I want to do this. I want to do that. Ah, I love Hashem. I want to give to him. How do you love Hashem with your Yetzirah? How do you love Hashem with your Yetzirah? The question becomes, so the answer is when you fight your Yetzirah, you will go against your nature. I want to so badly walk by that McDonald's to get the smell. I love the smell of the cheeseburger. 
but I love Hashem too much to cause him pain, so I'm going to fight my Yitzhahara because of my love for Hashem, and I'm going to go a roundabout way not to go through the McDonald's. I love going home through Central Avenue, but there's way too, for example, it doesn't mean five towns, any Central Avenue or Main Street for that matter in any town, the main thoroughfare. I love going through the center of the avenue of the town, but I'm not going to because I know that Moishi and Shlaimi and Yankel and Shmerel and Joe are going to be on the street. Mamish Hakana Rain, Hakana Chinik of Lashon Har Motzishim and Rechilas. I love Hashem, I love gossip, but I love Hashem more. I'm going to turn my Yitzhara to help myself love Hashem. I'm going to take my evil inclination, Dafka, to Hashem, to be for Hashem. That's called taking the Yitzhara, loving Hashem with your Yitzhara. Your heart should not be divided, your whole heart towards Hashem. With all your soul, even if he takes your soul, we should never know from such things, but we know the famous, famous example, Rabbi Akiva is taken by the Romans. We just read this in um, in Arze Halavanon, in, in Tishabov in the Kina, and also in the Ela Eskar, I believe, in Yom Kippur. We read about the Ten Martyrs. They might not have been at the same time. The Romans had the barbaric idea that in the Talmud, they, they talk about, I believe, that they had the barbaric idea that in the Bible, the ten brothers of Yosef were never re, re, were, were never really punished, so we're going to take ten people. doesn't make any sense, but in their twisted, warped logic, they said, I'm going to take ten of these greatest sages of Israel, and we're going to kill them in sand of the ten brothers. One of the explanations was, but one of them was Rabbi Akiva, the great, great Rabbi Akiva, who also was a tremendous, tremendous role model, one of my favorite characters in the Talmud. Of course, in Tanakh, it's Avraham and Eliyahu, but Rabbi Kiva is, is up there also. And they literally lead him out for the crime, the quote-unquote crime of teaching Torah to the masses. He refused not to teach Torah. The Romans said, it's, it's uh, against the law, we're not going to let you teach Torah. Rabbi Kiva did anyway, and we know Rabbi Kiva had a very difficult life, you know, he left his wife for 12 years, and then another 12 years, he lost 24,000 students. He was very optimistic. We have a whole sheer about this on the Tani Talks Life, formerly the lecture series about optimism, and Rabbi Kiva is the main example. He starts over with those five students. He gives them smicha, even though it was against the law. And he teaches Torah, even though it's against the law. They take him out to be burned at the stake in, in a way, Kiviyachal. They really rake his skin with combs, which is disgusting, barbaric, on so many levels and so utterly degrading and, and disgraceful to such an amazingly pure soul of the sage of Israel. But anyway, they take him out and, and he's laughing as they're literally ripping him to shreds, literally ripping him to shreds. And his, his teachers say, Rabbi Kiva, Ad Kama, Kol Kach, until so much. And Rabbi Kiva says, my whole life I was aggrieved over the verse that says you shall love Hashem with your entire soul. How could a person love Hashem with his whole soul? When will I ever have the chance to love Hashem with my whole soul until I came to today and I could literally give up my soul? I'm paraphrasing, of course. The Gemara says it much better than ever I can. Until I came to today... And said, ah, I can give up my soul to Hashem. And he literally says, Shema Yisrael. And with the word Achad, his soul literally jumps up to Gan Eden. And Hashem says, Akiva, you have earned the spot in the world to come. I mean, his whole life he did amazing things. But this was like the epitome of giving love for Hashem with your whole soul. The question becomes, how do you love with your, whole, with your means? 
with all of your possessions. There are people whose possessions are more precious to them than their own bodies. Therefore, it says, with all your means. Now, the explanation of the Chomo Adacha is you shall love God with whatever measure he meets out to you, whether it be the measure of good, measure of retribution. David also talks about this. Kos Yeshuas Esau V'Shem Hashem in Tehillim 116, Chabad points out, I will lift up the cup of salvations. I will call upon the name of Hashem. I found trouble and grief, and I called out the name of Hashem. Taking your possessions, using them for Torah. I talk about this a lot. You know, I believe Hashem gave me the ability to use my voice, audio, podcast, radio, to do something with it, right? So I take my phone, and I use the voice memos, or my microphone, or what, and I record stuff, hopefully in an aspect, to spin it using for Torah, to hopefully talk something out that could help maybe even one person. Using my possession, my talents, using my car to drive food over to someone who needs it. Using my house to cook food for someone who needs it, my oven. Using my backyard to host a shear, or to host a shalashir, as we once did. Using my possessions, my possessions to help out the world. That's how you could love Hashem, giving to the world with what Hashem gave me. If I have a talent, I have an ability to help people, to make a Kiddush Hashem, I can help people work on different skills they don't have, writing, cutting. As an OT, that's what we do, occupational therapy. Especially in the summer, often I have kids with special needs who can't even hold the pencil, can't even hold the scissors, can't even use the glue. What do we do with them, especially remote? I'm working in person this year from school, but seeing kids online, how do you access these kids and work with them? So difficult through the computer, especially at that level, but we have to take it session by session, day by day, using my ability, my capabilities to give to those around me, to help those around me, and to try to do what I can to influence those around me, using my possessions to help those around me. And Rashi also says, what does love referred to in the verse? It's the words, the mitzvah shall be upon your heart. Through this you will come to recognize the Holy One, blessed is He, and will consequently cling to His ways. Love Hashem. Constantly think about it. It should be sharp on your mind and your heart, etched on your soul. The root of Ahava is Hav, to give. How do you give to parents? What can you really give to parents besides for... A little bit, of, a little bit of nachas, a little bit of korat ruach, and the reach nechach of that wonderful smell—the ability to see the children getting along, making a difference in the world. Give to them by following in Torah, following in mitzvahs, following in chesed. When we talk about the the idea to to love, Chabad points out from the Rabbi Yosef, <coughs> Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Labavitch. The Magnif Mezrich expounded on the verse and asked, How can there be a commandment to love? Love is a feeling of the heart. One has the feeling, loves. What can a person do, God forbid, if love is not embedded in his heart? How can the Torah instruct, You shall love, as if it is a matter of choice? But the commandment actually lies in the previous verse. Here, O Israel, Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad. The Hebrew word Shema, here also means comprehend. The Torah is commanding a person to study, comprehend, and reflect upon the oneness of Hashem. Because it is the nature of the mind to rule the heart. Such contemplation will inevitably lead to a love of Hashem. If one contemplates deeply and yet is still not excited with a love of Hashem, this is only because he has not sufficiently refined and purified himself of the things which stifle his capacity to sense and relate to Hashem, to the divine. Aside from this, such contemplation by the mind will always 
result in a feeling of love. You can appreciate the world Hashem made. God willing, the upcoming lecture series, we're talking about nature, for the love of Hashem's nature. You can appreciate what Hashem did in this world, what Hashem brought to this world. You can appreciate what Hashem gave to us, what Hashem did for us. If you look at the world around us, you look at the at what Hashem put in this world. But if we want to give to Hashem, it's one thing to give to your spouse, give to your kids by physically taking care of them, emotionally taking care of them. But how do you give to Hashem, the ultimate spiritual being? You can give him a sense of nachat ruach keviyachol, a sense of the reach nechoach in your life, by following in the Torah, the mitzvahs, and the chesed as much as possible, being a shining example, and Hashem smiling down and saying, "That's my boy, that's my kid, that's my Tani running around the world trying to do a little good every day." And I'm no special person. I'm just a regular guy. I'm just using my name as example. That's my Joe. That's my Yankel. That's my Shmerel. That's my Sprinza. That's my Faiga Leibarina. Rachel, Rachel, Saba, Sara, Bracha. I'm running around the world making a difference. Ah, I feel the Nachat Ruach, Hashem could say. When we're talking about love, how apropos that the holiday of Tubav comes up right after the heels of Tishabov, one of the saddest parts of the year, with the tragedies of the Beit HaMikdash HaSheni and Beit HaMikdash HaRishon that was destroyed and all the calamities. But now we come to the reverse. It's interesting how in Judaism, just a few days apart, you could have an extreme low and then an extreme high. We talk about love, and we talk about the root of giving is love. It's interesting to talk about a holiday that actually centers on it. Tuba Av comes right after Tisha B'Av. The 15th day of Av was really a great source of rejoicing. Why? The Talmud points out in Ta'anit 30b, referenced in the Mishnah, compiled around 1800 years ago, the great matchmaking event that would take place twice a year. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel said there were no days as joyous for the Jewish people as the 15th of Av. And as Yom Kippur, when the daughters of Jerusalem would go out and dance in the vineyards, what would they say? Young man, please lift up your eyes. Consider what you choose for yourself as a wife. Do not set your eyes toward beauty, but set your eyes toward a good family, as the verse says. Sheker achen vehevel ayofi isha yiras Hashem he tis halal. Every week we say that in Eshet Chayim, towards the end. Grace is deceitful, and beauty is vain. After 120 years, it's gone. And it could wither away in a second. Only a woman who fears Hashem, she shall be praised. It's interesting how all of the Jewish maidens, all the Jewish ladies would go out to the field, they would dance, and, and men would see them and, and find a wife that he liked. And it was a very interesting ceremony. And then many people would find matches in that way. But there's some interesting aspects of this whole holiday. The Talmud cites a brisa in passage from the same period of the Mishnah, not including the Mishnah text, which offers additional detail in the Gemara. The sages taught, what would the beautiful woman among them say? Set your eyes toward beauty, as a wife is only for beauty. What would those of distinguished lineage among them say, who might not be so beautiful? Set your eyes toward family, as a wife is only for children. What would the unattractive ones among them say? Acquire your purchase for the sake of heaven. Every single person could relate to a different aspect that you're looking for. Okay, so this one talked about the beauty. This one talked about the yichus. This one talked about the fear of Hashem. This one talked about family. There's always something you could look for. There's always some aspect to talk about. The Talmud and Tanis further explains... The Mishnah taught as on them the daughters of Jerusalem would go out in white clothes. Why white? Why all of them? And on the 15th of Av, they would go out to the vineyards and dance. The sages taught this tradition in greater detail. The daughter of the king borrows white garments from the daughter of the high priest. Why? 
The daughter of the high priest borrows from the daughter of the deputy high priest. The daughter of the deputy high priest borrows from the daughter of the priest anointed for war, Meshuach Machama, the priest who would read verses of Torah and address the army as they prepared for battle. The daughter of the priest anointed for war borrows from the daughter of a common priest and all the Jewish people borrow from each other. The question is, why? Why borrow and why white? The Talmud answers it. Why would they all borrow garments? They did this so as not to embarrass one who did not have her own white garments. Again, if there was one person that didn't have the ability to have garments, what if a poor person would come dressed in rags and a rich person would come dressed in royalty? Would anyone ever choose the poor person? And it's not her fault. It's not his fault. Maybe they landed on hard times. Maybe they don't have money. But they shouldn't be chosen just because they have rags while this one has, you know, money. What if the one in rags has amazing midos, amazing qualities, amazing derech that the one in beautiful clothing does not? Let's level out the playing field, the sages say. Everyone will wear the same thing. And then you cannot differentiate just based on fashion, just based on clothing. Everyone will borrow from each other. No one will know how much each money has to the family. Everyone will wear the same thing. And then you could start actually finding your ziva, your shidduch, your b'sherit, your wife. I wonder if such a thing happened nowadays. Would there be a less of a shidduch crisis? If we would take out all the games, all the craziness... This is a little bit of a radical idea, but all the craziness of, of, of nowadays, maybe if we went back to the Talmud's way of matchmaking, it would be very interesting to think if there would be any difference in the crisis of what we see in recent years and recent decades. Just a food for thought. But anyway, this is the idea of Tuba, that they would go out and there would be great joy amongst Israel because so many matches would be made amongst the single men and the single girls, the single ladies, to find the people. The Mishnah also stated that the daughters of the Jewish people would go out and dance in the vineyards. The Tana taught one who did not have a wife would turn to there to find one. The solving of the Shidduch Christ is back in the Talmudic times. Wikipedia also points out things that happened on Tubav as well. According to the Talmud and Talmudic commentators, there were different things that happened on Tubav. When the Israelites wandered in the desert in the Midbar for 40 years, female orphans without brothers could only marry within their tribe to prevent their father's inherited territory in the land of Israel from passing on to other tribes. Following the incident of the daughters of Salavachad, after the conquest and division of Canaan under Yoshua, the ban was lifted on the 15th of Av and intertribal marriage was allowed. Also, the same year, the last of the generation of the sin of the spies which had been forbidden to enter the Holy Land and the promised line found that they were not destined to die. For 40 years, every Tishabav night, the Jews made graves for themselves in which they slept on Tishabav. Every year, a proportion of them died. In the 40th year of the Midbar, the 15,000 who had remained from the first generation went to sleep in their graves and woke up the next day to their surprise. Thinking they made a mistake with the date, they did not think that it was over. They did this until they reached Tuba'av and saw a full moon. Only then did they know they were going to enter the land of Israel with a new generation. Cause for rejoicing. The tribe of Benjamin was allowed to intermarry with the other tribes after the devastating, tragic, terrible incident of the concubine at Gibba, Pilagish Begiba. It's in, it's in Shoftim, chapters 19 to 21. Not recommended. Very difficult reading. Very difficult story. Not going to go into the details, but suffice it to say that a major war erupted afterwards after the terrible atrocity came about. But basically, 
they were allowed to intermarry after the incident at this point. Cutting of the wood for the main altar in the temple was completed for the year unto above. King Hosea of the northern kingdom removed the sentries on the road leading to Jerusalem, allowing the ten tribes to once again have access to the temple, also on Tubav. The nights, traditionally the ideal time for Torah study, are lengthened again after the summer solstice, permitting more study, also at the time of Tubav. The Roman occupiers permitted burial of the victims of the massacre at Betar. Very famous during the Bar Kokhba rebellion, the last Jewish stand against the Romans around 70 CE before the mass immigration of the Jewish people, the Romans kicking out the, the last vis- vestiges of the fight against the Romans. Miraculously, the bodies had not decomposed. The Romans did not let the, the bodies be buried at Betar, but at Tubav, they finally allowed it and none of the bodies decomposed. Hashem allowed them to miraculously stay even though they were exposed to the elements for over a year. So Tuba of marks an informal high to counter the low of the three weeks that lead up to Tishabav. Tuba of doesn't have many established religious rituals associated with its celebration. However, Tachon is not said either at Mincha the day before or on the day itself, and a bride and groom traditionally do not fast if their weddings fall on Tubav. Tubav happens to be a beautiful time of year to get married. Didn't think about that many ba- days back in the past, but is a wonderful time to do so. In modern times, it has become a romantic Jewish holiday. It has been said to be a great day for weddings. Commitment ceremonies, renewal vows, or proposing. Also, it is a day for romance explored through singing, dancing, giving flowers, and studying. This tube of this year, which comes out in just a few days on Shabbat, we just had Tish above on Sunday, and now it's already Wednesday, Thursday on Shabbat. Coming up in 2021, it's going to be tube of how will you celebrate your tube of. Think about your spouse, and if you're not Zoha, think about when you will get your spouse, you should be Zoha spoon or days. How will you give to that spouse? How will you show your love to your spouse? How will you celebrate your tube of in your own way? The fact that your whole life is tube of, that you had your spouse whenever you found her. Hashem had her dancing around you metaphorically until you found each other. Dancing around each other in different aspects of the earth until you finally came and found one another. Another. Think about what real love is, the root of a hav, a hav, that you give. And think about how we give love to Hashem in heaven, how we give to Him above, and how He can have nachad ruach, how He can have actual reach, nechoach from us. What better way to give Hashem hashra'at chinam, which is really one of the fundamental aspects of bringing Hashem into your home, what better way than give to Hashem than between the real love, the real love of a husband and spouse, of a husband and wife. If there's a wonderful relationship with real respect and real taking care of things together, real looking out for one another, real bayit neman So why do we say bayit neman? We want there to be a trustworthy, beautiful house where we feel the actual hashra'at shechina, where we hear the actual resting of the, and we feel the resting of the presence in the in the home. We want to feel that there's the real ish and isha, that there's the real ka involved, the old vort, that when you have the ish and isha, the yud and the hay of Hashem's name come and rest within them. But without Hashem, without following the Torah, without the right relationship, you take out the yud and the hay, all you're left with is ish fire and that's not a good relationship it's strife argument not good you put Hashem into your life you try to give reach nechoch you try to give nachat ruach to Hashem you'll feel the ka between ish and isha the yud and the hay of ish and isha otherwise you're left with the ish 
So you give to Hashem by giving Nachat Ruach, by taking care of your brothers and sisters, and of course, taking care of your spouse and your kids. Giving to them gives to Hashem. There are three three partners in the creation of a soul, the Gemara points out to us. Ish, Isha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem is the third partner involved in making a child. Really, it's Hashem, of course, but the physical manifestation of the husband and the wife making the child. Hashem is always there. Let Him in. Make sure you give to Him. Make sure that you follow in the ways. Make sure you show true love to Hashem, true love to your spouse, especially on the eve of Tuba'av, which is the holiday of love, a wonderful romantic time. Make sure to carve out time on the Shabbat in general for your spouse. I always say my favorite time of Shabbat is when my wife and I sit and we read next to each other our wonderful Jewish novels. I feel a supreme hashrat shechina. I feel a supreme menuchat nefesh menuchat when we sit and we read. Make sure to sit and make time just to, to be next to one another and to Find time, even if the kids are crazy, even if life is crazy, to sit and to eat and relax and enjoy, especially this year as two of comes out on Shabbos. What a beautiful thing that Shabbos, which is my favorite time of the week, coincides with two of which is a wonderful time of the year. Remember to think about what real love is, real giving, as Rabbi Dester teaches us, that the root of a hava is hav, and to give to Hashem the ultimate being is to give nachat ruach, to give the reach nechach to Hashem, that pleasant aroma of following in His ways, of taking care of His, bro- of his children, your brothers and sisters, and making sure to have real love in the world. And maybe, maybe, with such love and ahavat chinam, maybe we could finally be zochem, to bring the third base of major speech speedily happen, speedily in our days, may it be today. This has been Tani Talks Parsha, the TTP. Join us next time as we talk about the Parsha of the week with some practical lessons to keep.